This is Enacting the Kingdom, a podcast about liturgical worship. I'm Father Yuri Claudio, an Orthodox Christian priest with a lifelong desire to keep learning. I'm joined by my friend and teacher, Father Jeffrey Reddy. Father Jeffrey is the director of the Orthodox School of Theology at the University of Toronto and holds a doctorate in liturgical theology. Welcome, Father Jeffrey. Welcome to our audience. Father Jeffrey, I want to dive into an imaginative exercise right away, if that's okay. Great. (laughs) Good place to start. All right. So imagine you are, not you, Father Jeffrey, but you, the listener, you are invited to a baptism and you come, you're a member of the community. And, you know, let's say perhaps those exorcism prayers that we've talked about previous have been done in the back the candidate comes in and then we all kind of move into the church proper together. The presbyter then exclaims, or the deacon, I should say, exclaims these petitions for the candidate and for the water and brings to mind the language of creation and not only creation, but renewed creation. Um, that, you know, this in this moment, not only is all creation kind of rushing in to be aligned with the will of God, but also us as a community are are rushing in to be aligned. There's this great synthesis and synergy that is happening in this moment. And then after the litany of peace concludes, or after the final uh, petition of the litany of peace, the presbyter exclaims, great are you, O Lord, and marvelous are your works, and there is no word which suffices to him your wonders. And he exclaims it three times. Great are you, O Lord, and marvelous are your works, and there is no word which suffices to him your wonders. And then the presbyter goes on to say a lot of words to him, (laughs) the wonders of God. Um, I always find this an interesting place to start with a prayer like this, that no word is sufficient to him your wonders. And then... Let's go on and use a lot of words to him, the wonders. So it's a it's an absolutely beautiful thing to say, and it's a very powerful thing to exclaim at the beginning of kind of the the great blessing, uh, the blessing of the baptismal waters. So, Father Jeffrey, I'll turn it over to you. I guess what are we supposed to be experiencing in that moment, right? What what are we called to, like? Here's an example, and I think maybe a lot of people have this experience. Sometimes things are beautiful but I don't know why, right? Like this line, when the presbyter exclaims it, I know, like I I feel the beauty of it, right? I feel kind of aligned with what's going on, but I can't necessarily sit down in a classroom and give you a PowerPoint presentation about why this, why this line is, is so powerful. So I thought I'd turn it over to you and we'll put up your PowerPoint presentation now. No, (laughs) but yeah, I thought I'd get your take on it. Yeah, let me show you the graph. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, I mean, we're in the realm of poetry, right? Uh, and I think all of us remember those horrible experiences we would have had studying English literature with people who maybe didn't quite understand it in the way you've just described, Father Yuri, but would have thought that there's a way of graphing <laughs> the value of a poem or something like that. I mean, certain things are just meant to be experienced. And there, there, it doesn't leave us powerless or immobile. I suppose this is what the distinction to be made. It's true that no words suffice here. 
it's true that we have to kind of pile up different words and images in order to express, you know, something of this. And it's never going to capture the whole of the of the experience of our understanding of our of our response to the phenomenon right to to our experience of the life of god shared with the world in creation in redemption new creation and so forth but it doesn't leave us powerless or immobile right the so i think what's really interesting about this prayer and it's completely analogous to the the prayer we have at the heart of the divine liturgy right if you recall that you know in that great moment of thanksgiving and and consecration of the gifts you know we start with a call to be attentive to to stand in awe and fear right and 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 to just to attend to the thing that's about to happen and and the first reaction might be well, i've i've got to do nothing right i've got to just stand here and 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 you know pay attention but actually we're then asked to go on and do things right and there are there are kind of three things that we're asked to do in these prayers. And it's, I say it's perfectly analogous here, what's happening in this great blessing of water, which is the same service we have, you know, at Theophany, right? And this, it starts the same way with great are you, O Lord, and so forth. But the, the three movements that you get in the divine liturgy you get here are, uh, and I'll give you the kind of Latin terms because they are, um, or the, the the Greek here because they they, they come into um, uh, sort of liturgical theology parlance, right? The people refer to these sections. So there's anamnesis, which means remembrance, right? The first thing we can do in response to this awe-inspiring circumstance, phenomenon, experience, is to remember right, is to recall, is to, you know, we may not capture everything about it, but our responsibility here is somehow to to remember, to tell the story and to tradition that story. We heard this story from those who went before us. We've, we're remembering it ourselves. We're passing it down, you know, so we're going to tell something of what God has done through creation, through calling his people, into uh, you know into relationship with him through space through time and down to our own day so we'll tell something of that story of creation redemption and fulfillment and then we have a move of um and it was well, it's slightly different order here but you know there's this move of um epiclesis you know the, the calling down of the holy spirit right because this is you know we can recall how god has been and tell that story and then we our response in the present is to say we want to continue to dwell in that moment so we ask the holy spirit to descend and then the third third movement is the second in the divine liturgy. It's reversed with epiclesis is consecration. There's something about the the kind of institution or or what's about to happen with the stuff that we brought forward. You know, in the divine liturgy, it's the bread and the wine. In in this service, it's the water that we brought forth. So something is going to happen to change, you know, our perception of what that stuff is to change, uh, I want to say change the nature of it, but, you know, to some extent it's about, it's recovering its true nature. It's not about it becoming supernatural. It's about it be, being fully natural, fully sacramental and so forth. So it's these three things. So it, yes, it's true. There is no word that suffices. It's true that there's nothing we can do. It's a hundred percent grace. 
it's true that, you know, we are awestruck and unable to graph the thing or explain it logically or, you know, put it in some kind of flow chart or do any of the things we're, we're used to doing in terms of analyzing, right? This is not something to go under the microscope. It's not something to study, but it doesn't leave us immobile or powerless. What it does is it calls forth these kind of responses to remember, to tell that story, to call down the Holy Spirit in the present moment, and to ask God to transform the very stuff of what we're doing, right? Because we're going to move on to do something with it. And that has a purpose. That has a goal itself. And that goal, as this whole prayer indicates, is aligned with God's goal for us and for this thing, right? So we're not about saying, God, we have this great idea. We hope you're on board with it. We'd like you to do this. No, it's we realize by telling that story, by remember, that's how we start with the remembrance, right? It's by recalling God's purposes and God's activities, we align ourselves with that. And so when we finally do ask the Holy Spirit to to come and to for this, this stuff to be transformed and to be, it, we know that it's aligned with God's will. We're asking for God to do what he's already shown himself interested in doing, right? And so it's a beautiful prayer. I mean, this goes back to the, to the you know, the, the form of prayer that we know from, you know, Jewish worship, the Berachah, the, the great prayers of Thanksgiving. And this, this informs all of our divine liturgy services. It informs services like this. It's, it's the heart of our prayer this remembrance, this descent of the Holy Spirit, this blessing and consecration. And, uh, you know, we have a perfect example of it here at this, you know, kind of key moment in the baptismal service. Mm. I want to just repeat those three things back to you just to make sure I have them all squared away. Um, you mentioned anamnesis, uh, and correct me if I get any of the pronunciations wrong, anamnesis, which is uh, the remembrance of but like in its most basic understanding it would just be remembrance, but yeah. like in the context of these uh, in liturgical worship, it would be the remembrance of the great things that God has, has done, right? Like great are you, O Lord, marvelous are your works. And there is no word which suffices to him your wonders, right? This remembrance of God, what God has done. Um, then you have the epiclesis, which is the calling down or the, the coming down of God or the Holy spirit or whatever it might be on the situation. Um, I think of like a wedding ceremony where you, you might pray, you know, you know, oh, Lord, just as you were at the wedding in Cana, you know, and changed water into wine. So now come and be with the 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 wedding couple or whatever. Um, so you get that anamnesis, epic thesis, and then the consecration, which is the thing that we bring that is then kind of transfigured or or um, um, shown to be its true self uh, in that moment. Um, does that sound about right? Yeah. Uh, the analogy with the, the wedding is apt. I think that that part, though, the, the, the kind of Lord's presence and, and doing what he did in that story, that maybe it connects more to the consecration thing. I mean, these things are, are pretty, pretty loose. And, right. you know, obviously the activity of the word of God and the, the spirit of God are, you know, interlocking and overlapping and, and, and you know, working collaboratively at all times. So it's to put a hard and fast division between them. So I say that the kind of ordering here might be a little bit different. If you think about the divine liturgy, the consecration is maybe the words of institution. It's the telling of the story of the Last Supper. So in that great prayer of the anaphora, you have, you know, from creation through redemption, all of God's saving works. And then on the night in which you were betrayed, right? Mm -hmm. You took bread, you took wine. And those words are the kind of consecration. And then after that, we say, 
send down the Holy Spirit upon us and upon these gifts and then do something, show them to be or to, you know, make them to be. Um, so here, um, you know, in the wedding, similar sorts of things are happening. You've got, you know, the, the whole story of God's covenant love and all of his the relationship with Israel and, and the Christ and the church. And then you've got like you did at Cana, come and be here. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit is invited to kind of enter into and, and transform um, that that married uh, that marriage into something of the kingdom and so forth. And so like here, we've got this marvelous story of creation. The Holy Spirit's asked to do something, to enter into the water, to descend. And then you've got this recollection, you know, of, of Jordan, of the, the baptism of our Lord, and this kind of showing of the water to do something and to, to, to have a purpose, right? It's not, it's, it's not, you know, simply symbolic for the sake of being symbolic. It, it is truly directional and teleological, directed towards an end and a purpose. Mm-hmm. And we'll see that as we go through the prayer. I think that there's no way to get around it here that I have to read the prayer. Right. Yeah. Just because there's so much there's so much here. So I'm going to read just the first uh, the first bit of the prayer and um, we can pick out a couple of things, Father Jeffrey, and talk about them as we go. But uh, that's one thing to keep in mind. Those those three things, things to keep in mind as we go through the entire service of baptism. But for you of your own will have brought into being all things which before were not. And by your might, you uphold creation and by your providence, you order the world. When you had joined together the universe out of four elements, you crowned the circle of the year with four seasons. Before you tremble all the powers endowed with intelligence. The sun sings unto you. The moon glorifies you. The stars meet together before your presence. The light obeys you. The deeps tremble before you. The water springs are subject to you. You have spread out the heavens like a curtain. You have established the earth upon the waters. You have set around about the sea barriers of sand. You have shed abroad the air for breathing. The angelic powers serve you. The choirs of archangels fall down in adoration before you. The many-eyed cherubim and the six-winged seraphim, as they stand around about and fly, veil their faces in awe before your ineffable glory. For you who are God, inexpressible, existing, uncreated before the ages and ineffable, did descend upon the earth and did take on the semblance of a servant and were made in the likeness of man. For because of the tender compassion of your mercy, O Master, you did come and save us. We confess your grace. We proclaim your mercy. We conceal not your gracious acts. You have delivered the generations of our mortal nature. By your birth, you sanctified a virgin's womb. All creation magnifies you who have revealed yourself. For you, O our God, have revealed yourself upon the earth and have dwelt among men. You did hallow the streams of Jordan, sending down upon them from the heavens your Holy Spirit and did crush the heads of the demons who lurked there. So that's a good place a good place to stop. There's a, a whole lot going on here, Father Jeffrey. Um, it seems to me that most of this kind of would fall into that anamnesis um, uh, form or uh, uh, yeah, we would fall under anamnesis in that we are remembering or uh, maybe calling to mind is a better way of, of saying that all of the wonderful things that God has done uh, as not only creator, but sustainer, of the entire universe and not only as an external force, but as somebody who joins himself into 
creation through the incarnation of, of Jesus Christ. Um, yeah, lots yeah. of images of creation here. For sure. I, and I just want to start by saying, you know, this, there's never a bad time to do this, right? Mm-hmm. I, this is the quintessential, you know, Jewish thing. This is the quintessential, you know, family of God thing. This is what we're asked to do. This is what the scriptures are all about. I mean, the, the, the Bible itself, remember, is story, you know, is a rehearsal, a recounting of God's saving works. And so, you know, if we do nothing else in this life, let it be this, right? And there's no bad moment to do this. You know, it, people often say to me, uh, you know, they're struggling in their spiritual life or in their, you know, day-to-day life. And, they, you know, how do I even pray? How, how, what do I do? What do I say? I don't understand. Life's a mystery. Life sucks. Life's all this and that. It, this is not a bad place to go, right? Just to do this. As much as you can, as often as you can, not just waiting for the divine liturgy, for the presbyter to to pray this kind of thing, not just waiting for a baptism or the great blessing of water for this prayer, but pull this prayer out and make this our life. This remembrance, you know, this, hang on a minute, I actually exist. I, you know, I could have not existed. All this could have not existed. And yet it exists. So we, we emphasize this. Almost every single one of these kinds of prayers talks about God who creates out of non-existence into being. So I think, you know, what's, what's this poetic language all about? Well, it, it's, it's not just poetic. It's quite literal. This all could not be, right? But it is. And so there's that, right? At least we're here, at the very least, you know. And then all this other stuff about the world, creation, how everything fits together, right? Everything from the air that we breathe. How often do we remember that? You know, how often do we remember that we can take breaths, that we we have this wonderful stage on which our life, as miserable, as suffering, as struggling as it might be, as depressing as sometimes as it might be, we are still on this marvelous stage, right? We can act, we can be, we can remember, we can tell, you know, these stories. And so, I, you know, there's just something central about this very thing that I think we need to return to a lot more often than we do. Because we try to almost like leap forward in our prayer to other things. You know, we we worry about have we done enough? You know, have we are we doing the right things in life? Or uh, you know, we worry about all kinds of concerns and considerations, you know, the intercessory prayers that we do and that sort of thing. We we worry, we worry, we worry. We're anxious about so many things. This is the foundation of prayer, though. If we could stand here and almost do nothing else, we would be far better off than if we didn't do this at all, right? And so, I mean, everything in in Judaism, everything in Christianity ought to start with this. Who are we? Where is God in all of this? Where are we in relation to God? And remember this, tell this story. I honestly think this would make all of our lives much better if we somehow stood on this ground. And of course, here we have the fundamental sacrament about to happen of entering into the family of God and becoming a son or daughter of God himself. This this remarkable thing, we've spoken about this in in the earlier episodes. And so we need to stand on firm ground. And the firm ground we stand on is the story of God himself. And, you know, even if we never depart from here, we are in good, solid place to stand. 
The podcast you're listening to reflects only the public half of the overall project of enacting the kingdom. Father Jeffrey and I actively post new episodes on our completely separate private podcast. This private space gives us the freedom to debate and discuss open and sometimes controversial questions regarding the Orthodox faith amongst a smaller and more dedicated audience. If you become a patron now, you'll get immediate access to our growing backlog of private episodes, including a discussion on the ordination of women and the coronavirus multiple spoon controversy. To get access to our private podcast, go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Looking forward to having you join our growing community on Patreon. Now back to the show. In our Vesper series, for any of our keen listeners, you might remember this, uh, during our Cathisma series, which happened probably in the winter of 2020, um, we talked about the great U-shape, right? That there's the orientation, disorientation, and reorientation as the sort of, the kind of this universal story, right? Um, you have, you know, Jonah goes down to the whale and then comes back up, out, right? Or uh, even Jesus Christ himself is... is, um, is uh, uh, crucified and goes down into the grave, but then resurrects into a new, not not into not into a new humanity, right? Into the resurrected humanity. Um, this this prayer, it's interesting. It seems to go from th- the depths, right? Like uh, in terms of creation, not in terms of like our human condition or anything. Just in terms of creation, talking about the most basic elements of creation, even talking about the deeps, and then it goes up into the heavenly powers, right? And like what the, the divine throne room looks like. But then it actually comes back down through, you know, we talk about the incarnation and then it ends with the waters that are in front of us, right? Like right here, right now. So we almost get this tour, this full elevator tour of creation. And then the entire prayer then takes all of that and refocuses it right back down into that exact moment that we are standing gathered around that font of water. Um, that's something that I had not realized before. I'm, it's just coming to mind looking at the prayer right now. Yeah. And again, this is perfectly analogous with the divine liturgy because we do the same thing, you know, there, you know, we talk about creation and all of its aspects. We then, we go right up to, we always, there's always angels, right. In these things, in these prayers, uh, because it, it's one of the ways, although no words suffice of in our words, right. Despite and in the divine liturgy, we say the same thing about words will not suffice. We call God ineffable, you know, beyond all understanding and everything, you know, and, but then we go right up to that throne room, to that heavenly court, to all of the angels. And in St. Basil's liturgy, we even talk about all the nine ranks, you know, of angels uh, and St. John Chrysostom, it's you know we mentioned that the the cherubim and the seraphim and so forth and then we sing that great hymn of the angels holy 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 um but then obviously we come back to those very specific acts uh you know and, and gather around the table where the bread and the wine are so here it's the font right which takes the place you know of that but you're right we're given this kind of tour of all things so if, if there's part of this that we've forgotten somehow then, you know, there's an opportunity to, to remember it. Oh, yeah, you know, it's not only the elements, it's not only the air, it's not only the earth, the sea, and all that's in it. It's, you know, everything right up to 
the very throne of God himself and all of the angelic powers who are there, who, who, with whom we are joined, right, in this worship. Um, and that's, that's, that's the key. And then, you know, all of that comes to bear. So if you, in case you were forgetting that it's not just these few people gathered around this font, it's the whole of creation that's implicated here. It's the whole of, you know, creation seen and unseen that's present here. It's everything in time and space that's concentrated in this moment. That's what happens in the sacraments in all the holy mysteries that this is a, a moment that it kind of takes us outside of the normal chronology of things, right? It's a moment that participates in eternity in the sense that everything is consecrated. We have the eyes to see it. You know, this is a moment of encounter with God, as all moments can be, right? There's nothing that says that we can't be doing this at all times and in all places. In fact, the reason we get our lives so horribly wrong all the time is that we don't have the eyes to see the fact that we are at all times capable of, of kind of perceiving God, his angels, all of creation kind of concentrated in this moment. Well, and here's an opportunity as a community to come together to do this because that's what this candidate for baptism is being brought into. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, as you say, it's a kind of tour of, of all of creation so that we understand the, the kind of the, the scope of what's about to happen, right. Which is all encompassing. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's not merely, um, you know, this one little church community, it's the entire church. So it's ecclesiological in that sense. It's not merely this one moment in time. It's all of time. And it's the end times that have come rushing forward. So it's eschatological. Mm -hmm. It's not merely this one part of the world. It's the entire cosmos. So it's cosmological. So ecclesiological, eschatological, cosmological. That's what's happening. That's why we have this great prayer of, of mm -hmm. thanksgiving for the water and transformation of the water. I have a question. I, I'm going to assume the answer probably has something to do with this using poetic language, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, in the second sentence of the prayer, uh, when you had joined together the universe out of four elements, well, I just did a quick Google search of how many elements there are because I'm not 118, probably. 118 <laughs> elements. So, like, are, this is wrong. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, we're, we're dealing with an earlier um, chemistry. Um, and I always I like to point out the fact that the, the chap who came up with our, you know, modern uh, periodic table was a Russian and an Orthodox. You know, he was a faithful um Christian in the 19th century. And so there's, there'll be nothing unorthodox or heterodox or whatever horrible word you want to throw at it um, to actually believe in chemistry and, and to accept that there's 118 and counting, right? Because it's possible that, you know, new elements are um, discovered and or formed, you know, from human interaction with things. So it's, it's a, it's a, it's a moving target. So yeah, I, I you know, those who are faithful listeners may know that I actually asked this very question of Gail Wallace-Chuck when we did our, our live stream, you know, at one point, you know, is there room in liturgy to actually um, reflect real science, you know, as opposed to, you know, it, it, if we go into this kind of poetic mode, do we have to kind of just necessarily return to a flat earth with pillars, you know, with four elements and, and, and so forth. And I, you know, there's an extent to which, 
Um, part of the answer might be yes. I know there are certain, you know, very prominent voices on the internet who, you know, kind of suggest things like, well, from our human perspective, and therefore, you know, from the perspective of, of basically all poetry, the earth is flat. And, you know, sure, without a microscope or some, you know, very sophisticated equipment, you're never going to detect much more than four elements anyway, right? You know, uh, earth and, and water and things like that are the only things we can actually kind of manipulate with our hands, you know, so with our gross motor skills, that's what mm -hmm. the element are and so forth. So, uh, you know, there's a truth to that, I suppose. But I also think we are at risk of alienating, you know, people who maybe are a little bit more thoughtful, reflective, or knowledgeable about these things. So I don't know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't erase this or change it. I think maybe elsewhere, uh, we have, we should maybe talk. I mean, I, I think it's actually tr truly all inspiring to look at the science, right? So, so I, I would reject the idea that you have to be primitive in your science in order to be awe-inspiring or to tell a good story. Mm. And I, I've mentioned this before. I mean, I find fascinating the fact that every atom in my body was forged in a dying star somewhere, you know? Mm. So I, I'm made of stardust. Mm -hmm. I think there's a way of being poetic about that that would be tremendously mind-blowing and awe-inspiring, and no word would suffice to him that wonder. Of we, course. Of think course. about how God set this up, that every single part of our, us came out of these, you know, that we look up to heaven. I mean, you know, we go outside of the city on a, on a dark night and, and with a, a non-cloudy night and, and just look at those stars and think, from that, I am made. You know, to me, that that is the stuff of poetry. So I don't know that there's necessarily this hard and fast, well, we'll put science over there. It has its, you know, 118 element periodic table. But over here, we have to be primitive because mm -hmm. that's the way of being poetic. I, I don't think that's the case. I think there's a certain element that says, you know, what we can detect maybe comes to the fore, you know, what we actually live day to day. Uh, we don't see the curvature of the earth. We don't, you know, unless you're watching ships disappear over the horizon. We don't, you know, we don't sense, you know, we talk about stillness, right? Mm -hmm. We don't sense the fact that we are really quickly rotating on the earth and the earth is rotating, you know, going around the sun and that the whole of our, you know, solar system is moving at some really, really high speed, you know, away from all the other solar systems. Uh, we, this is not something we feel. We can stand still and feel like we are not moving and yet we're not, right? So there's a certain truth to that. We have to kind of go with what we know and experience directly with our senses in liturgy. I think that makes sense. But on the other hand, I think there's room for poetry in the science. I would love a liturgy that talks about just how fast we're moving at every yeah. moment in time, in every possible direction, you know, it makes me feel dizzy thinking about it. So, mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of atheistic scientists who talk at length about the beauty of creation yeah. and use poetic language and everything like that and if i'm like if you can use if if it can be awe-inspiring for people who have no belief in a creator how much more awe-inspiring and poetic could modern science be for for us who do acknowledge that god has created this world so yeah i i think i'm on board with you father jeffrey and but not to displace this, I'm not about saying let's change that four into 118. Here. Oh, I think then, a lot then of, I'm not know. on board. You know, I want to change everything. So. <laughs> I'm sure you do. But 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 yeah, I mean, if, at the very least, just to reach out to those scientists because I know a lot of them. I mean, I read a lot of of these 
authors and scientists, and I find their work fascinating. And, you know, I'm very sad to know that they can't find the, a way of living what they experience within, say, a Christian faith, right? Because they, they, they think, well, actually, if I go to Christianity, that's about rejecting all of this feeling, this numinous experience of, of, of creation or anything. I think, what are we doing if we can't Mm-hmm. allow people to have that experience that d- depth of wonder in our services this is the kind of depth of wonder that we're talking about here so at some turns and places within liturgy i would love us to be able to welcome those people in and say listen look this is exactly what we're talking about that same experience you have as an astrophysicist or as a chemist or as a biologist you know this is what we're talking about i think we would be um you know, hospitable anyway to, to their kind of experience and so forth. Right. Well, thank you to all of our audience. Thank you very much, Father Jeffrey, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Enacting the Kingdom is a patron-supported show, and if you're not a patron, you're only getting half of everything we create. If you'd like to join our growing community of supporters, please go to patreon.com slash enacting the kingdom. Your patronage goes a long way to keeping this show going. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.